Alrighty, Matthew chapter 6. We're in Matthew chapter 6 now. We've been in Matthew 5 for quite some time, uh, but we made it through that, and um, we're going to get into Matthew chapter 6. So, uh, we're just looking at the first few verses here tonight, and there's, there's a few of these. Actually, the first three or four messages that we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 6 all deal with prayer. Uh, which is fitting because that's what our, our topic is, our theme is for this whole year is continuing in prayer. And boy, this is just some great uh, truths about prayer, some great things that we can take as examples when we pray. Uh, but let's just go ahead and get into it and start with Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 1. Take heed therefore that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. You know, so much of what um, appears to be Christianity is done in public. Or at least it's, it's, it's publicly visible. Uh, for example, people can see when you go to church. They can see uh, whether you're being cheerful when you're in the middle of trials. They can see uh, whether you serve the Lord in some way in the church or in the neighborhood or uh, whether you just sit there and watch other people do the work. People can see our Christianity on the outside. Uh, the truth is, is, is that so much of what genuine Christianity consists of is done in private. Um, when no one else is around to see but God. Uh, that's what true Christianity is. If you don't understand that and apply that, then your Christianity just becomes a performance. Uh, and there's a lot of people who are performance Christians. In other words, they are a Christian when people are watching, and that's it. They're not a Christian when they're on their own, when they're by themselves. They, they, they allow themselves to do whatever they feel like doing when they're alone. Uh, but you get them in a place when they can be seen, and they're going to be the hardest working, uh, you know, hardest serving uh, Christian in the church, you know. And, and I'll tell you, I think a lot of times one of the reasons, and, and, and I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail here, I didn't have this in, in what I plan to say tonight, but I'll I tell you honestly why. I think one of the reasons why kids that grow up in Christian, in Christian school, Christian home, Christian church, you know, good places. Why they end up leaving and running off into the world and just basically, you know, jumping two feet. They, they turn 18, 19, 20 years old, and the next thing you know, they're living in, in just about as deep a sin as you can ever expect somebody to do. And I think a lot of it is the parents were Christians at church, and that was it. They weren't Christians at home. They lived how they wanted to at home. When they were there by themselves and it was just their family, they could live how they wanted to, but then they come to church and they're this great Christian. And you know what happens? The kids see that. The kids see the hypocrisy in that. They see the, they see the uh, you know, the, the, if you want to call it a two-faced, I don't know what you want to call it, but being a great Christian and serving God in the church and doing all of these things when they can be seen, but then when they're not seen, when they, when they can't get the praise for it, they're not a Christian. 
or at least they don't act like one. I, I still, you know, they can be saved and everything else and not act like a Christian. But what happens with Christianity is it becomes something that you do in order to be seen doing it and in order to be commended for doing it by those around you. And, and at that point, your reputation, which is what people think you are, has taken the place of your character um, and, and your spiritual character, which is what you actually are. Somebody said this a long time ago, but what you are in private is who you really are. That's the real you. What you would do if you knew you would never get caught, what you would do if you knew nobody was ever going to see, that's the real you. The reputation you is what, you, what, what, you, what people think you are. And that might be the same person as what you actually are, but many times it's actually a completely different person. Your reputation and your character are two totally different things. And on our passage here, and of course Jesus has been doing this in the whole sermon, but what he's ta taking aim at is the Pharisees' greatest weaknesses, doing what they could in order to be seen of men. And boy, we see that throughout all of the, the New Testament, especially in the Gospels. And Jesus hammered the Pharisees over and over and over. You're only doing it so people can see what you're doing. And, the, and Jesus talks about some of these things. You know, when you give your money, don't, don't have a trumpet go in front of you and announce that you're on your way to give your money to the church. I mean, think about that. You know, to us, that's just, just, just a preposterous idea. Why in the world would you have somebody standing there in front of you with a trumpet heralding that you're on your way to give your offering? But they were so wrapped up in everybody seeing them, and they all did it, obviously, that it was not even that uncommon to see somebody walking down the street with a trumpet in front of them, heralding the idea that they're on their way to give their alms. But Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't, don't be doing it to be seen of men. And one of, the important, one of the important things to understand about Christianity, obviously, we, we've talked about this, and, and, and this is the theme that we see over and over and over in this passage, is that God is after your heart. And if in your heart you do the things that Christians do so that other people will think well of you, then God doesn't really have your heart at all. God wants your heart. He doesn't want you to give it to everybody else so that they can see how you're doing things and what you're doing. And if, if, you're, if in your heart you're only doing it so that you can be seen, then God does not have your heart. And, you know, one of the important things to understand about Christianity is, is that it's so much more about being than doing. There's a lot of people who do Christianity, but they are not a Christian. Uh, and the Bible says that very clearly in Matthew chapter, uh, what is it, Matthew chapter 7. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I say unto them, depart from me, I never knew you. What is that talking about? That's people who, I believe, got up and preached, got up and prophesied in his name, got up and cast out the leaders in the church. And they're going to stand before God, and he's going to say, who are you? And they said, you don't know me? I've done all kinds of stuff in your name. And he says, I don't know who you are. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting punishment. You know what that means? That means there's a lot of people out there that are just doing Christianity instead of being a Christian. And that's a huge difference in, in what Christianity is all about. I don't want to just do Christianity. I want to be a Christian. And there's so many people that, that get that wrong. Christianity is more than uh, is being more than it is doing. God's purpose in saving us was primarily to develop a workforce that would carry out his will perfectly. He already, he already has one. They're called angels. 
Um, um, it, it, so his primary purpose was not in doing that. He's already got a workforce that can carry out his job. I mean, you, you look throughout all, especially the New Testament, but, but many times in the Old Testament, God sent angels down to come do his work. He, he could get his work done without us. So that was not his primary goal in saving us. Um, God's primary purpose was to save us from sin. And that was both from the condemnation and the control of sin. And so he wants to form in us the nature of his son. In fact, turn over to Romans chapter 8. While you're turning over there, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Paul is talking to the church at Galatia. And he says his whole goal, Jesus Christ's whole goal is for Christ to be formed in you. Now, this verse in Romans chapter 8 is a verse that is, that is very uh, mistaken. It's taken out of context a lot to say something that it was never meant to say. And, and, of course, Calvinists use this to say that only certain people are destined to be saved and everything else. That's not the purpose of this verse. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, and they stopped there. He's not predestinating us to be saved. What is it saying that he's predestinating them to do? To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's the people that are saved. The people that he knows are those who are his, his children, those who are saved. And he's saying, those who, for whom he did for no, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That's people who are saved, and that's what he wants for us. That's his goal for us. He wants us to be saved from the condemnation of sin, but he also wants us to be saved from the control of sin. And the way that that happens is by us being conformed into his image, by allowing Christ to be formed in us. And it's for that reason that he's more concerned about who we are than what we do. And that's what concerns him, and what concerns him ought to concern us. And so with that, by way of introduction, let me give you several statements <clears throat> about our text tonight. Let's pray, and then we'll look at this idea, thy father which seeth in secret. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us and for the opportunity we have to be here tonight. God, I pray that you'd help us to, to examine ourselves and see why we're doing the things that we're doing. Many people are involved in, 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 in being active for you, and of course, you're the only one that can see our hearts. I don't know why everybody's doing the things that they're doing, but I pray that we do it out of the right motivation, and that is out of a love for you and out of a desire to please you. And as we look at these things tonight, God, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts in areas where we need to improve, in areas where we need to flat out change. I pray that you'd help us to do that tonight. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me say this. First of all, good things can be done in a bad way. Go back to Matthew chapter 6. Keep your finger there or put a bookmark there, maybe. We're going to be turning to a few other passages, <clears throat> but I, I, we'll, we'll keep coming back to Matthew chapter 6. But he says this in verse number 1. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Now, I don't for one, for one minute believe that you can be a good Christian without actively serving the Lord. Um, and, and I want to make that plain. And uh, trying to emphasize this idea tonight, the importance of being overdoing, I don't want to imply that what we do is not important. It absolutely is important to Jesus Christ. It's important to God that we do serve him. In fact, turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. I believe the scripture plainly teaches that you cannot be a good Christian without actively serving the Lord. He says this in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 10. 
For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I think what happens is we get to the point where, where we're so intent on staying away from the idea that our good works don't save us and everything else, that we take the importance off of good works. Good works are absolutely important. I say this all the time, but the Bible says that Jesus went about doing good, right? We ought to be doing good works, and that's what he says there. Uh, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, but your service does not mean that you're a good Christian. Just because you serve does not mean that you're a good Christian. And that's exactly the point that Jesus is speaking to here in this passage. And Jesus uses the example in the verse that we just read in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 2, of almsgiving. But, but you could give any number of examples here. Every, every Christian ought to be an active witness for Jesus Christ. But if, if your motivation for being a witness for Jesus Christ is so that you can be praised for being a witness for Jesus Christ or for winning this number of souls to Christ and so on, then you're doing good works in a bad way. Good works can be done in the wrong way. Every Christian wife should give herself to minister to her husband, but if, if she does that so that other Christian will notice her and applaud her for how well she does that, she's doing good works in a bad way. Same thing with a husband, you know? If the only reason you love your wife is so that people will say, wow, that man really loves his wife, we ought to love our wives. Wives ought to love their husbands. We ought to get along. We ought to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. But if our motivation is so that people will look at us as great examples, then we're doing it for the wrong reason. Now, there's nothing wrong with somebody looking at somebody else and saying, wow, they're a great example of this. There's nothing wrong with that, but that ought not to be our motivation. Um, I believe it's wrong for Christians to drink alcohol, obviously. Uh, but if we only don't drink beer at a, a work party so that everybody else can, you know, everybody else at our work can look at us and say, wow, look at that guy's not drinking beer. You know, he must be a Christian or, or whatever reason. Uh, I'm doing a good thing in a bad way. Anything can be done for the sake of our own reputation. Anything can be done for the sake of our own glory and our own pride. And if we're doing it for that, then we're doing a good thing in the wrong way. Now, Jesus also uses the example of public prayer here. Verse number five in Matthew chapter six. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. See, he's certainly not saying that it's wrong to pray in public. He's not saying that at all. The spirit, rather than the letter, and we've talked about that a lot, of Jesus' instruction here is that you pray in public with a heart motivated by a desire for people around you to perceive you as being spiritual, then you're doing a good thing in a bad way. And there's so many people that do that. Boy, they'll never utter a word of prayer in their private time They'll never take the time to pray until they're called on to pray in public. And then they get up and they expound and they've got to try to impress people with their Bible knowledge in their prayers and they've got to try to impress people with their words. And, 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 and don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that you ought to, you know, dear Jesus, thank you for this day, amen. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is that we ought to be careful about why we're doing the things that we're doing. And there ought to be a whole lot more prayer in private between us and God than there is in public. And I'll tell you what, you won't have to worry about your public prayer if your private prayer is right. Uh, but we have to be so careful about that. Public prayer is a wonderful and important part of the church service. If it wasn't, I wouldn't have people get up and pray. It's very important that we do that in public and, and together. But to pray in a way that's to aim your prayer at other people around you, then 
you know, you're absolutely doing it in the wrong way. And I believe it's even, it's, it's a sin. That's exactly what God is, uh, Jesus is trying to get across in this passage. If we're doing it to be seen of men, then we're doing it for the wrong motivation, and it's not right. And Jesus is calling that out. Now, Matthew chapter 23, just turn a few pages over to that. The Pharisees were called out for their practice of using their phylacteries to, um, to exploit their spiritual prowess, you could say. Wanted everybody to know how spiritual they really were. Phylacteries were these leather boxes that were worn on your body, and you carried scripture in them. So what they were doing, in fact, Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 5. But all their works they do for it to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. These Pharisees were making theirs bigger than regular people so that everybody would think that they were more spiritual and see that they were wearing more and carrying more of these scriptures. Uh, nothing wrong with wearing these phylacteries. I mean, this Deuteronomy 6, was, uh, was, it was a command that was given to them to wear these phylacteries. But they were making them huge so that everybody would see that they're doing what they were supposed to do. Uh, there's another thing that they were supposed to do, too. They were commanded to wear a tasseled fringe along the bottom of their clothes in order to signify their obedience to the Lord. We see that in Numbers chapter 15. But what was happening is they were making these fringes so long and flowing so that everybody would know that they were trying to show their obedience to the Lord. In fact, Edersheim, he's one of the uh, Jewish scholars um, uh, in the 1800s when he did all of his writing, but he talked about one particular rabbi that had fringes that were so long that he had to have a young man walking behind him to help carry those fringes. I mean, that is, that's taking it to the extreme, obviously. But they were only doing it to be seen of men, and that's what Jesus is telling us. Don't do this to be seen of men. Doing good things. Look, wearing the phylacteries was a good thing. You know, wearing the fringes was a good thing. Giving alms was a good thing. Praying in public was a good thing. But what Jesus is calling them out on is the heart of why they were doing those things. And it ought not to be so that people will look at you and say, wow, what a spiritual person that one must be. We ought to do it out of a motivation to love in, in, in Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 6, back over there, and we're not actually talking about this tonight. Uh, we'll get to it in a few weeks, but fasting is a spiritual discipline that lends itself by the very nature of what fasting is to, to privacy. Uh, fasting is not something that is to be done in, um, in public. It goes hand in hand with the idea of, of withdrawing from other people so that you can just pour your heart out to the Lord, right? Skipping a meal or two meals or three meals or however many meals to pour your heart out to God. But what was happening, verse 16, moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites, of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Somehow the Pharisees had managed to make even this visible, noticeable. I mean, they would, they would fast, and then they would walk around with these sullen, sunken faces so that everybody would know that they were in the middle of fasting, you know? Uh, boy, they, they just had a way about them that, that just, uh, they did that so that other people would admire them for fasting. Wow, look at that guy's face. He must be fasting for days, you know? Look at, the, look at the sunken face of that poor guy. He must be a very spiritual man in his closet, fasting and praying and doing all these. But they weren't doing it because they were trying to get a hold of God. They were doing it because they wanted to be seen, that they, were, they wanted it to be known that they were fasting and, and, and doing all these things. And, 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 and I, I, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse with this idea, but if all you do on church, uh, on Sunday in church is, is fill up 18 inches of pew and never serve the Lord, 
then you're missing the whole point of the Christian life. But if we're doing things for God and we're doing it out of a motivation so that we can be seen by others, then we're doing good things in the exact wrong way. God calls for us to actively serve him, but we're to do it out of a heart for him and out of a love for him. Certainly do good things, but don't do them in a bad way. Second thing that we see is this. In fact, turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 15. If we do those good things in a bad way, we get no heavenly reward. If we do those things in a, if we do those good things in a bad way, then we get no heavenly reward. Which, what is the motivation to even do it in the first place? Right? Now, let me say this. I don't believe that it's wrong to be motivated out of being rewarded in heaven, right? Um, well, you ought to do it out of a love for God, not because you can get a reward in heaven. Well, God wouldn't have given us those as motivations. God wouldn't have given us those as something that we ought to strive for if he didn't want us to strive for those things. So we can certainly want to gain a heavenly reward for the things that we're doing. Sometimes when you're going through trials and you're going through difficulties and you're doing it for the sake of of, of being a testimony for Jesus Christ or whatever, uh, that can be a motivation. I'm going to keep going because I want that reward for being faithful. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. Um, but when we do those good things in a bad way, we lose that reward. We lose all of it. So many people are only or at least primarily concerned with how spiritual others perceive them to be. So that's what they aim for and that's what they get. And that's all they get. Now that, that's your reward. You want to be seen by people? You want people to look at you and say, wow, what a great Christian? You might get it. That's your reward, though. There's none in heaven waiting for you. Remember Saul? 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 30. Uh, King Saul did, uh, after he sinned and performing the sacrifice that he wasn't supposed to perform, and Samuel came and condemned him. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 30. Then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel. And turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. Saul was doing these things, but he wanted to be honored for it. Don't make me look bad in front of the people. I want to have this reputation that people can still honor me. That's, that's the completely wrong idea. And turn over to Proverbs chapter 4. You know, I, I like to try to find ways to commend you all for the things that you do, the work that you do, but I can't tell how or why you're doing those things in the first place. And some people might criticize, you know, commending people for their work because it can lend itself to pride and all those things. And it can, and, and we have to be careful about that. I want you to, to know that I appreciate what you're doing in this church, and so I, I'll continue to commend you for those things when I get the opportunity. But uh, what we find so often is Paul uh, giving praise in his epistles to his fellow workers and helpers and servants in the ministry. Uh, the fact that, it's, that, that that's a temptation for inward pride is found in every single area of the Christian life. You know, everything that we do has the possibility of pride coming along with it. Um, it, it can't be defeated by avoiding public gratitude. And uh, again, it, it can only be defeated in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's by being constantly aware of why we're doing what we're doing, constantly vigilant that we don't allow that pride to sneak up in our lives and, and choke us out. Um, and, and honestly, we have to just constantly watch over the condition of our own heart. That's what it says in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. 
See, the people around me may or may not notice my good works, but God sees absolutely everything that I do. And uh, it says that. In fact, go back over to Matthew chapter 6, and look what it says there in verse number 6. The very end of that verse says, And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Thy Father which seeth in secret. That's the driving principle of how God relates to his people. Um, it's, it's a sobering and encouraging truth at the same time. It's, it's a sobering truth because if you think about it, there's nothing that we can ever do that God does not notice. We'll never get away with a sin that God doesn't see. We'll never get away with you know, doing something out of the wrong motivation that God does not see. But it's also a very encouraging principle as well because if you find yourself discouraged about something that, you know, maybe you're working for the Lord and nobody sees, you, you, you get missionaries that, that go over to these countries where nobody ever sees what they do. Nobody ever knows how they're working for God. Nobody ever sees the, 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 the struggles and the trials that they go through. Nobody sees the fruit that they have because nobody's there. It's, it's just them and God and these people that God's called them to work with. But God sees all of those things too. And, and so the, thy father would see us in secret. He notices and he cares. And when you're doing it for him in the first place, that's enough. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Boy, what a great verse. God is not unrighteous that he's not going to reward you. God's not going to forget you out there. He sees thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And that brings us to the last point. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 4. That thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. He talks about when thou prayest, don't, don't do it to be seen of men. Verse 6, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. God rewards us publicly, not for our public work, but for our private work. That's how God rewards us. And in God's omniscience, uh, he's determined that it's, it's a good thing for, for that reward to be delivered publicly. Sometimes God may reward us on this earth. Sometimes, you know, uh, it may be through seeing great results in a ministry that you're working in or in the church. It may be in other ways that God decides to openly reward us on this earth. But he always and primarily rewards us in heaven. Now turn over to Revelation chapter 4. Because sometimes, sometimes the rewards don't come until the next life. And it's not selfish to want that. God rewards us publicly, not for our public work, but for our closet work. And you know what? Someday all of that's going to be revealed. All of the work that we did for God in private. All the work that we did for God, not because we were trying to be seen, but because we wanted God to be glorified by what we did. And those things are going to be made public someday. Now, Revelation chapter 4, and boy, I wish we had time to read all of it. We don't, but it describes a scene in which that rewarding takes place. And in the center of this vast assembly, there's a, uh, a, a transparent and a crimson throne, and around it the emerald green rainbows. Um, the, the throne sits on a floor of crystal clear glass that extends out in all the directions for everybody that's assembled there to see it. Uh, lights, seven lights around the throne at each of the four corners. There's a distinct and, and um, just honestly a wondrous beast 
that is uh, ascribing holiness and praise to God who is sitting on that throne. And a witness to the scene describes God's voice when he speaks from his throne as thunderings and lightnings. And you can just imagine the scene that's going on all the way around this, all the way around that throne, which is the throne that God sits on, is a circle of 24 smaller thrones that have uh, seated men crowned in gold. Um, you could just imagine the, the, the vivid colors and the awesomeness of that scene and, and what's taking place. Um, but most importantly, God himself is sitting there in the center, surrounded by all of these things that are going on. And there's millions of Christians who have just as, as suddenly escaped death by the rapture. And here all these millions and millions and millions of Christians are standing there gathered around the throne. And joining all of them are the millions of Christians that have gone on before. That are part of that great cloud of witnesses that is talked about in Hebrews chapter 12. And what is all that great assembly gathered together for? For one particular purpose. And it is that this awesome assembly is where the rewards that are talked about in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Timothy and James are going to be presented. Revelation chapter 4, it's, it's in this assembly that we, by the millions as Christians, will be able to cast those crowns that we get back at Jesus' feet. And boy, that's, that's, that's why we ought to be motivated to win those crowns, not so that we can get up to heaven and have everybody say, wow, look at all the things that he did that nobody ever knew about. It's so that we can take those crowns and cast them back at Jesus' feet. Look what it says in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 9. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. See, God's not going to leave us without that public reward for the private work. You don't want to get before God someday and be empty-handed. That's where all the rewards are going to be given out. And there's going to be so many people who are there that are going to stand before God, and he's going to say, I don't even know who you are, let alone, here's your rewards. But as, there's going to be a lot of Christians, I'm afraid, that have done a lot of work for Jesus Christ through the years, that if, if we call out their name, we say, boy, that guy must be way up there in line, and he must be getting reward after reward after reward after reward. But we're going to stand before God, and he's going to say, I have no reward for you. You had your reward, but it was on earth. You were doing it all for the praise of men, and you had the praise of men. You had everybody looking at you and saying, wow, what a great Christian, but I have no reward for you. You were doing good things, and you were a Christian, and, and you're, you're more than welcome to come into heaven, but you were doing it all for the wrong reason. You were doing it so that those men could see you and praise you and reward you, and you have your reward. And I, I think that's exactly, I mean, you see that Jesus saying that over and over in this passage in Matthew chapter 6. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Uh, verse number 5, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Verse 16, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. And that's, you know what your reward is? You get, you get honored in public. You get people seeing you and honoring you and praising you and lifting you up and all the things that you're doing. 
You have your reward. But the thing that I want, and the thing that ought to be the motivation for why we do what we do is exactly what it says in verse 6. And thy father, which seeth thee in secret, shall reward thee openly. The only chance you and I have to earn those rewards on crowning day is going to be in this life. That's it. Can't do anything after that happens. But if we do what we do for the glory that we'll get from men in this life, then that's all we're going to get. We're going to stand before God and we're going to be empty-handed because he rewards the things that are done in secret. He rewards the things that are done out of a motivation to love him and to lift his name up, not the things that are done out of a motivation for you to be seen by men. If we serve God from the heart, whether anyone else on the earth ever notices it or not, we'll have that wonderful privilege of being able to cast those crowns at Jesus' feet someday. Our Father seeth in secret, and he will reward us openly. Let's make sure that we're doing the things that we do, not so that we can be seen by men, but so that we can have the praise of God and God alone. Thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. I'd rather have my rewards in heaven, because then I can take those and I can lay them back at Jesus' feet. Oh, it's nice in this earth to be honored, but it means nothing. It means nothing compared to what we'll be able to do when God honors us. We can take those crowns and lay them back at his feet. Put them on that pile around the throne. Can you imagine what that pile of crowns is going to look like? Thousands and thousands and thousands, probably even millions of crowns laid around the throne. I want to be one of those that's able to take some crowns that I earn and lay them at his feet. Let's make sure that we're doing the things that we do out of the right motivation and out of the right heart so that we can be rewarded in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for how good you are to us. I thank you for the motivation that you've given us. What a tremendous motivation to be able to get those crowns so that we can lay them down at your feet. And, oh, God, I pray that you would help us to be doing things down here, not so that we can be lifted up, not so that we can have the praise of people who are watching us, but so that we can honor and glorify you and one day, one day earn a crown or two or three, or five, that we can lay at your feet. And God, I pray that if there's anybody in here this evening sitting there thinking, maybe I'm not doing things with the right motivation, that you'd help us to get those things taken care of tonight, and that we would, from this day forward, do it out of a love for you. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed as the piano plays. The invitation is open. You can come.